Hey there, this is Emily. And this is Rosa. Welcome to the Unchecked Podcast. We are two women from two different countries who will talk about living life in their late 20s. Hey everyone, welcome back to the second episode of 2021. Um, so today we're actually going to talk about money management. Um, I, I feel like money is always an elusive thing and a lot of people don't want to talk about it. Uh, but we want to be really transparent and talk about, you know, our experiences with money and financial planning and then our goals for this year. Um, so we also want to caveat and note that this is everything that we talk about is for educational purposes only, not investment advice. So take it with a grain of salt, um, and we hope some of these experiences resonate with you. So to start off, we're going to talk about family, right? How our family perceives money or money management. I'll kick it off to Rosa first. So my family, I think they perceive money, money is kind of like a necessary evil. So just to backtrack, my grandparents from both my mom and my dad's side, they didn't really have much education. They mostly did things with their hands. Uh, for example... My grandma was, from my mom's side, was a seamstress. And then my grandpa worked as a police officer. They actually thought that, obviously, education was very important to their kid, for their kids and to improve life because they were very poor in Peru. So they, um, my, from, especially from my mom's side, uh, both, all of her, all of her brothers and sisters, they all went to college, right? And they really put a lot of value of education because that was a kind of like a way to, improve the quality of life right so um that's how we see like money in a way is more of i think money is tied with education and kind of upward upward mobility and it's crazy how because of that uh my family went from being very poor to being like upper middle class in peru and i think that's um how i that's why i see money is not as um it was it was something that we needed, obviously, but at the same time, it wasn't. I had since I never had needs, like I I never went hungry like my grandparents. Um, so I never I never thought of money as something that is like number one the thing to to overcome kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you ever have any like money conversations with your parents about like? how much they had or was that really nothing that was talked about because you felt that they like they were secure with their money so all you had to do was manage your own well that's very interesting because like for example like that's why I kind of it's hard for me to talk about money because in a way um I kind of my the way my family is is very um we're kind of like a tribe right so it's Mm -hmm. not it's not like my money or their money it's more like our money kind of thing sometimes you know like for example like if maybe i need some extra money or i'm short like my brother has sent me money before especially when i was in college or or i have sent my brother money or i have sent my parents money or most of the time they have sent my parents have sent me money right Uh So it's more like a communal pot. So I think the best way to kind of summarize the way my family sees money is kind of like you work to get money, right? You save Mm -hmm. up as much as you can. And then that surplus, you give back to whoever needs. 
And obviously, charity starts from home. So obviously, if one of your family members will need some money, some extra money, you know, then you give it to them. It's kind of like we have a saying that is, hoy día por ti, mañana por mí. Today for you, um, today for me, and tomorrow for you. Something like that, right? So that's why it's, it's more of a communal mindset to money. Does that make sense? But also, mm -hmm. like, for example, like in Peru, And this is why sometimes it's very interesting the contest of where are you living. Because in Peru, for example, if you work for the government, you have a pension. So when my grandfather passed away, he was a police officer, right? So he had a pension. And then when he passed away, uh, he went to my uh, grandmother as his widow. So she never really had to worry about money because of that. And they already own their house, right? Like my family owns the house that they live in in Peru so there's not much pressure of oh we're not going to pay the bills because I think a lot of for example money problems in the United States come from the fact that a lot of us don't own the house right that we live in right. we rent right. especially us immigrants right so mm -hmm. I think that that's why my family is not as pressing I think that for example when we moved to the United States it was that's when I started to notice like what the problem with money because then we kind of obviously there's one dollar is three soles so you know the conversion rate is really <laughs> steep so obviously my parents came with all the money that they could bring but it wasn't enough um, it became much less in pretty fast so my brother and I had uh like we used to have jobs when we were 15 16 but that's like normal you know and mm -hmm. it was mostly like pocket money and sometimes we'll give to like maybe like pay some bills and stuff like that but i never thought about it as like you know like my like a scrape together yeah to like I never did. yeah exactly and sometimes like i send my mom money but i don't really even nowadays but i don't see it as like i don't know it's like a way of like an honor for me to be able to do that you know right Because it's solely it's so ingrained in your culture to have that sense of community. So it's it's not an obligation. It's like oh, like I'm supposed to give back because that's just the way it is. Exactly. I don't. I mean, I'm watching The Mandalorian now, but this is the way kind of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you, Emily? Yeah, I think it's so interesting that you talk about all this. So again, for some background, I think we touched a little bit upon it during Family Expectations episode a little while back. Um, but my grandma lived like in the village in China. Um, so she also grew up in kind of uh, a time where she didn't really have a lot of money either. And she really had to take care of a lot of kids. And so this is my grandma from my mom's side. And so what happened was basically she took her and her children all the way to New York. Um, and so she really made a living as a seamstress. And then uh, my grandfather actually uh, was a dishwasher at a restaurant. And so they basically had to take care of seven children um, at the same time. And like they lived in this like tiny apartment um, in, in New York City, specifically in Brooklyn. So similar to your experiences, Rosa, like my grandparents kind of grew up in poverty. I would say my grandparents from my dad's side, they were a little bit more well off. Um, but a lot of the circumstances change, obviously, when, you know, you immigrate to the United States. So my dad came over from Hong Kong to the U.S. to marry my mom. And so they basically had to start a whole new life there. Um, neither my mom nor my dad uh, graduated from college. Actually, I think the highest degree they had was a high school degree. 
Um, so, you know, my dad was really focused on entrepreneurship and like scra scraping together everything together to like create their own business. Um, so the idea of money, like in terms of how I grew up in that space, and we never really talked about it. Like it was something that was like evasive. My needs were met. I never really asked about it. And it wasn't really until like I actually dug deeper into my parents' finances that I realized like, oh, like in order to make me better and make me uh, feel like more sure of what my future would look like, I actually need to know like how much they're making and like how much they have in their savings, right? And so that really goes into like, especially if you're an immigrant daughter or son, and let's say your parents are like 60 or 70 years old, there comes a point where it's important to have a quote unquote, like an end of life conversation. And for me, like I'm an only daughter too. So, you know, while I need to make sure I support myself, I know at, at some point, like as my parents get older, I need to make sure like a portion of my savings can like help them um, to make sure that they're comfortable in the apartment they're in or, or what have you. Um, up until I think two years after graduating college, um, I didn't really think about money. Uh, my parents funded my college education. Luckily, they were able to scrape and make things, you know, go by. But I think a little bit comes from like pressure from what I'm seeing from my friends, you know, like a lot of them are getting their own houses or like moving out. Right. And then I think for me, like I, I think there was a turning point where I like started budgeting for myself and then looking at how much I was spending and then also thinking about my future. Right. So, you know, I'm 28. <laughs> um, I, the idea is that I want to find a partner and be able to like find a place to live. Maybe you're getting a down payment for a house or an apartment and then to have kids. Right. And all that requires like long-term planning. And so with all that in mind, um, I had my first like real money conversation with my parents uh, around a year ago. Right. And so I literally like we sat down and we listed like uh, step by step how much money my mom had in her savings and my dad had in their savings. Um, they have some money in like Hong Kong as well. And then I actually planned out like, okay, so they have this amount. My mom's going to work for like X amount of years. Once she retires, like how much of the savings are they going to use up? Uh, what is like the uh, pension, the 401k going to kick in for my parents? And then like how much of the additional supplementary income do I have to put in? And then in addition, I like basically forecasted how much I was going to make for the next like five to 10 years. And then did a little math to make sure that I, I could put a portion of my savings into that, you know, like uh, that home life. I'm also I'm very privileged in a way that like I never had to think about in college. Like I would just spend money, not recklessly, but like the first two years of college when I graduated, I wasn't necessarily like a huge, huge spender. But I remember I would like on, on several, several weekend nights drop like $200 going to bars and like spending money on tequila, right? I mean, but you plan, but you plan, 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 like, wow, like, I I'm, like, I'm so shocked, like, in a good way, you know, like, wow, look at you, Emily, because I am not, like, I'm not at this level yet at all. Yeah, I think it's just like, for some reason, as I started growing older, there was just this weird anxiety, and I like, I hate anxiety, and I hate gray area, and the only thing I figured out the way to solve that was like, okay, like, I actually know how much in each bucket I have and how I'll eventually spend it. Yeah, I think that like, I mean, that's very much your Leo that really needs to have control of the narrative. But you know, another <laughs> thing that kind of, uh, kind of like jump out at me was when you talked about like your, uh, your some of your friends, like buying houses and stuff. Mm -hmm. And you know, actually it resonates with me because I mean, to be 100% honest, I don't give a fuck what other people do. <laughs> like in like, 
but mm-hmm. respectfully. But yeah. you know, but at the same time, it's really interesting because not not every single person has the same star. You know, like I, I mean, I went to a uni- the University of Miami, and I was in a sorority, so I know a lot of people that are very wealthy. You know, mm. and it's not like it's it's not to me like when I see them doing things, it's like for me, I am like truly happy for them. But at the same time, I try not not to. I don't want to take away from their for their from their wins, but I know that, for example, their finish line was move way ahead of mine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you can't really compare yourself with other people because we all have like, and maybe they have other battles, you know, that they we didn't know. Just because they were they're rich doesn't mean their life is easy, right? But at the same yeah. time, it's like we're all so different, and you know, like a lot of things that I won't do, that people would do. You know, like, for example, like I have I know a lot of people that joined the military just to pay their college uh, loans, which is so sad because we shouldn't do that. Like we shouldn't have to do that. I mean, if you want to join, join. I mean, that's your priority. I myself would never. But, you know, but a lot of people have to join because they don't have any other choices to pay for college. And a lot of people right now are drowning with loans. You know, I think that like just the fact that you are able to save in america at your age that's a big deal because a lot of people can you know and just i just want to say that like just the fact that we are able to plan for the future that in itself privilege because especially nowadays there's people that live paycheck to paycheck there's people that literally right now they don't have a job you know like imagine like we grew up and they always tell us like oh you need to save for six months of not having your job but now people have been having like have haven't been uh employed for like more than six months at this point you know like what do you do at the, what do you do so in itself that's yeah, just be grateful like we have to be grateful for what we have right but at the same time that doesn't mean that you shouldn't plan you know yeah so, i agree with that and so again like we're so privileged to be able to have like savings already done like not no ob- really obligations aside from family right but to your point rosa there's like people that have to support like families, they might have to send money back to their home country. You know, the rising real estate costs, like the cost of living in New York, especially is just out of the roof. And also minimum wage, which the government is taking forever to pass for all states. It's kind of like, it's insane how people get can't get paid $50 an hour, like minimum. Anyway, that was a side note. But I just want to say that like, I also know I feel like compared to some of my friends, I as you voted Rosa, like I'm more of a planner, but I think it also comes from the fact that like, because I also made um, an industry shift, right? Like I went from corporate to nonprofit, like I have to plan because it's like, if I want to keep my happiness now that I have with my job and my role, there are some things I need to give up. Right. And so that will be like, I have to put a little bit more towards my saving. I have to spend less on a monthly basis, but you know, just how much I spend usually. And I just looked at my like 2019 when I actually like, uh, was able to go out and, and do all these things, like I'm still at a good spending rate where I can still sustain what I'm doing. Um, so now that we talked about, you know, money in terms of uh, family and ourselves, uh, Rosa, do you have any like financial planning 101 goals for this year? Or like, what do you usually do with your money? Okay, so it's very easy to save now because 
there's nowhere to go. <laughs> so I used to spend a lot of my money on traveling because to me it's more about experiences. And I know like I was being, especially like I gave myself all my 20s to be reckless and I had saved good money like for goals and then like spend them all. So for example, I saved two years when I was living in New York and then I moved to France with 20K and literally spent all of that in the next two years because I was getting my master's in computer science. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I didn't work. So obviously, I spent all of the money <laughs> that I had saved. And then I did it again <laughs> in another project and stuff like that. So I kind of gave my myself like, okay, be a little bit crazy in your 20s. Mm -hmm. Now, like my newest plan is band life, which is Jocelyn and I are going to buy a, a band and we're going to um, we're, we're going to do some adjustments to it so we can live inside the band and travel all over Europe. So for that, I need to save at least 30 K. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, for van life to fix up the van and stuff and to purchase one. Yeah. 30 K mm -hmm. at least. So mm -hmm. that's at least, you know, we don't know. Uh, we don't know like what's going to happen. Right. Like, I mean, I have a really good job, so I can't really complain. But if I'm going to do band life, I don't know if they're going to be up for it, if I'm going to have to change to a job, another job, or maybe, like, do do it, like, part-time and stuff like that. So, I mean, I am a programmer, so it's easier. So, pretty much my financial planning, like, for I'm saving, like, I'm trying to save at least 1K euro mm -hmm. per per month because here you get pay every but monthly so i'm trying to put 1k every month uh for saving for myself and mm -hmm. then just Lan and i have an another like uh we have a an account that is the two of us and this account i put another 1k but this account is also for like electricity and uh and uh rent and all that stuff like so, essentials. Mm -hmm. But then we usually have like a surplus of 200 or something like that. So that mm -hmm. kind of gets saved for for an emergency or, you know, like our plans. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much it. Like this year is mostly going to be for saving. I hope that by the end of this month, this year, I'm going to have like a, like a good 15K save. But I'm trying to diversify my income too. So I'm trying to see like, I want to buy land now. Like that's my newest thing. I want to buy land in Peru and kind of like make a big house where in the future I can move. I mean, like, honestly, I think that this pandemic has made us, a lot of us realize that there's no point on paying like these crazy rent prices to live in cities when you can't do anything. And also as well, like as you're getting older, yeah, I like to go to the opera. I like to go to the Louvre. I want, like to go to the museums, but that can be like my need for culture can be sated in one week in Paris. I don't have to live here, you know? Mm -hmm. A lot of people that are like pursuing the fire movement, which I'll talk about a little bit about later, like want to actually retire like they work in u.s and retire abroad because the cost of living is there's so much cheaper to me it's very interesting i mean look i'm living in france but i pay more taxes here than i would do in france in the united states but i just think it's very interesting that like the united states has a lot of americans have this for example bad view of immigration and they get you know the big there's so many americans that are living illegally in, the, in mexico just so they can get cheaper medicine so to me it's very interesting how like you know there's the, a lot of people don't see the parallels of like immigration and how it's easy to say 
I'm just gonna move to Costa Rica when I'm old and I can be a hippie. And it's like, okay, well, but you're going there and like, you know, kind of taking from uh, a community, uh, a country. So, well, I don't know. Yeah, I think it depends on your situation and like what you can handle. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, besides that, like, I didn't like be buying the band. I mean, my band and diversifying my income by buying more land and trying to see if I can like, you know, create like a small like I don't want to say maybe vineyard or something like that. Something that has to do with agriculture. That's pretty much where my views are. Girl, I'm gonna visit that vineyard every year on vacation. <laughs> yeah, come. But yeah, like I mean, but that's like my long like long term plans. We'll see. So what about you? What are your plans with your money? So basically, how I first started with money, right? As I mentioned before, um, I was thinking of looking into figuring out how, how I could diversify my money, as Rosa pointed out. So when I first graduated from college, I knew I had like a 401k open at my company. And so I basically was just contributing the minimum amount to it, which is like the 3% match that my company gives me, right? So I just like let it sit. I didn't really know what it was. I was like, oh, cool. Like my company's matching my money. Great. I'm just going to put it in there. Um, and then, so I think it wasn't until like last year that I looked into basically putting more money into my, right, what I have right now, which is my 403B account. And then I also put money into my Roth IRA, which is basically another investment account. Um, and so some background, you could put up to 6K in it every year um, and you just let it grow, right? You put it into stocks, bonds, whatever. And then um, because it's a Roth IRA, your taxes are already taken out of the money you're putting in. So when you take that money out in the future, all that is kind of growing tax-free. Um, so that was another way I was able to just contribute more and diversify my income. To learn more about all this, right? Because I was just like in that gray area, as I mentioned before, like I actually put into like two resources or invested in two resources. One was um, the Bottlehead's Guide to Investing, which I mentioned before in our book review, right? I basically read it from front to end. Uh, because that was something my cousin who's like really into investing um, recommended me as a book and like I knew all the definitions so I tried like researching like okay like what is stocks what is stock allocation what are bonds and like I couldn't for the life of me figure out all these terms like it just didn't stick and so I realized I was more a visual learner basically I was going through Instagram um, and there was this influencer or like content creator called Delian Burrows and she's basically an attorney um, and also kind of um, like a money manager. She's like part of the fire movement. And so I've been following her for a while. And she basically offered this like uh, crash course about uh, and this is how you call it. She called it slay the stock market. Basically, it's like um, a part course that covers like investing basics, how to organize your portfolio, like strategies and mindset. And so it wasn't a, a like kind of a large investment in the beginning. Her course itself, it, it was she actually like launched one during Black Friday it was five hundred dollars, or actually four hundred dollars. And in my mind, I'm like, I want to try it out. And basically, it, like in her uh, note too, she was saying like, if you're not satisfied, there, there's like money back, right? So I was like, okay, like I'll take the risk. It's Black Friday sale. This is a present for myself for the for Christmas. Let me check it out. And so I took the course, and from then on, like like you were hooked. So much. I was hooked. I was like, wow, like it resonated so much with me, right? So number one, like with this course, it has videos and stuff like that. But there's also like a two month invitation to her like Q&A community page. So once a week, you ask questions and she like jumps on Zoom and like answers them for you. So what I really like about her, like her background is very similar to mine. Like she came from an immigrant family. 
in Brazil. Like she had tons of law student loan debt and she didn't start investing until she was 28. But at this, like at the age she is right now, I think she's in her like late thirties. She basically paid off her student loan debt is increasing like her income through her diversified streams. Right. And she is a BIPOC folk talking on behalf of BIPOC folk. Like, I am so sick of investing done and seen and talked by white men. <laughs> it just didn't resonate with me because, like, I don't see you in me. And so Delian is, like, no nonsense. She goes like, straight to the point. And she also adds this, like, cultural awareness to it. In addition, like, if you're in a Q&A community pages, she's also, like, very judgment-free. She answers your questions. Any, there's no bad questions. And she just, like, keeps it really simple. After I took that course, I was like, okay, like, I started reading these financial pros- like prospectus, all this information, and everything made sense. Um, I'm really now pursuing my journey to FIRE. Fi- FIRE is financial independence retire early, just for us who are like, okay. <laughs> because no offense, but as much as us programmers love our acronyms, Business people love their acronyms as well. I know. So right now I'm on track to retire by 55. Yeah. Um, So of course, like this age might change. Obviously things might happen. Um, But the idea is that you can move your, this is like your ideal situation. You're trying to retrofit to it. And then for me, like I'm more flexible with my fire. So I know my needs might change over time. Like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do after I retire at 55. So maybe I want to extend it. Can I ask you some questions about fire yes, since we're here? Of course, go for it. <laughs> okay, so you know, the political person of me says, okay, 55, that's good. But like, because he says that you kind of have to save like 50% of your income. Does that mean that you are pretty much like sacrificing everything? Like now, no going out. I mean, nowadays it doesn't really matter because we had COVID, but like not no travel, no, like you don't get to spend any money besides like the necessities for however X time or how do you deal with that? Yeah, so with FIRE, there's specifically like a calculator that like, you know, folks can use to figure out that money or amount. Um, The idea is that like to calculate your FIRE number, it's basically how much you're uh, spending right now times 25. So yeah, that's that's the number. I'll I'll, I'll share some resources about how to calculate your FIRE number. But basically, I calculate that like with what I'm spending right now and with like how much I'm going to put towards retirement, I'll be, I'll have like $1.5 million in like all my assets by that time. And each person is different, right? Like if you're really targeting for like a really high number, because you know that like my expenses each year is going to be like 70K, you're obviously going to have to save a lot more, right? But for me, um, like I save a lot in general. Like I think my savings is around like 40% anyway. Um, so I didn't really have to change anything in my strategy to, to meet that amount. Um, and then, so I know also know that I'm basically going to be, um, making more money this year, like hopefully with my promotion, like it, it was pretty tight in the beginning, but I know with my promotion, I actually have like more breathing room to allocate money. So like if in terms of budgeting right now, I'm basically capping my expenses, like my, like, uh, let's say my once category to like bars, food and stuff to $600. Um, but that doesn't include like all my, like I have like a thousand nine hundred that I'm putting towards essentials when I move out. And then, it, yeah, it's just like that fire number again is very flexible, right? If you feel like, oh, 1.5 million is not possible with the way I'm living. Okay, increase it to what, like 1.4, like add another year. Like I know some people in the fire movement are super tight and they want to like definitely retire by 55. But for me, like I'm super flexible with my ideal target date. 
I mean, I love this idea because I really feel like, you know, the retirement age gets getting older and older and older. The only thing is just like, you don't know like how much money you're going to need, you know, in the future because we don't know the future. But yeah. either way, even if you don't retire or retire, whatever you choose, you still need to be ready for it. You're not going to know. So, you know. Yeah. So that's why people say um, you have to have at least like six years of emergency money liquid at any given time um and so for me like my sixth month is probably like ten thousand dollars but i actually saved up to one year because i know that's like for emergencies for my parents if any god knows what happens so like i already allocated some of that too so like my one year emergency fund is like 30k okay that's really interesting because like for example like i think the mm -hmm. most important thing to save money is to own your own place right yeah. for example like Jocelyn and i wanted to do band life because if we don't pay rent for a whole month, year, that would be like so many savings. I mean, besides the fun aspect of it. So I think that like, that's probably a big aspect of fire, right? Like buy your own place to live. Yeah, that's a great question. I'm I'm not particularly sure uh, how that works for some people. Like I can only say from my experience. So like for me, I have that 30K, right? But I also have a, more money left in my high yield savings that I'm actually putting as like down payment money for a house. So that plan is between like six to 10 years. Um, and so that I'm going to put all that money in a, what we call like a taxable brokerage account to grow that over those 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 years. Like when you calculate your fire number, I know there are strategies where you like input money based on like um, how much money you bought for a house and things like that. But like I only have like liquid money right now. So that's how I calculate my number, if that makes sense. I see. I just find it really interesting, right? So that's why I just keep asking you questions because I have actually never heard about this whole fire um, movement per se. And so how I calculated my 1.5 million fire is that um, by 55, if I invest $1,630 a month, right? So that means to my Roth IRA and to my um, 403B account, basically I will be okay. Like I will have that amount in both of those accounts by the time I retire. And so to backtrack from that, that means I'm contributing 21% of my paycheck and I'm maxing out the 6K every year. So the 6K comes from my Roth IRA. If I say it, it might not make as much sense as if you like do it on your own. So again, for folks that are interested in like looking at their fire number, if they're interested, I'll like link the resources down below. All to say, and Rosa keep asking questions because I, I really like how we're like talking about this. Typically, like the strategy to investing is number one, you put money to your 401k or 403b up to your company match, right? So if you say, I have my company match is like 4% a year, you put 4% of your, that's like the base, you put 4%. Then you max out your Roth IRA, because with your Roth IRA, you basically can take that money out at any time, except you can't take out the growth. So I put 6k in uh, every year, and maybe say in three years, I actually need to take like 10k out, you can still take that money out. But your growth just stays in your account, right? It's tax free. The third step is that you then max out your 401k, your 403b. And then the last but not least is like you could then put money in your brokerage account, which is basically taxable, uh, but for, it's more flexible, right? Because you could put as much money into that. Um, I know some people that open brokerage accounts to like play around with money, <laughs> like put money in Amazon or things like that. But for me, like I opened it, so I would put, I, I invest in like index funds, which basically just grow and track like, uh, top 100 stocks in the market and so again like this is a four step strategy but it really depends on your goals right so I already know I'm going to max out my Roth and most of my 403B 
but I also know that I need uh, money that will be put towards my down payment of my house. So this year, I'm basically putting twenty um, k in my brokerage account, and then I'm gonna see how the taxes play out next year. And then I'm gonna put the remaining money that I have in my liquid savings into that, so that like in six to ten years. That's the stocks uh, and the bonds that I have, and they will grow. I think I really think that you're very on top of things, so that's really good. Yeah, so that that's mostly it. And so again, brokerage, I, I I would caution. It depends on like what type of investor you are, right? You need to figure out like how much money you want to put in there, what your long term strategy is. Like a brokerage account would not make sense if you need that liquid money in one to three years, right? But because I'm flexible, again, I have six to ten years. I have that time to grow that money out. And obviously the stock market is like volatile, right? Sometimes we are bear markets, sometimes we're in bull markets. So the idea is that let's say like in year five, the fucking stock market tanks, I still am okay because I, I could have like two or three years after that to like bring my money back and then I could take that money out. And so the last thing I'll say, you know, because it's just this, there's just so much information is like with investing, you really have to think about like what you call your asset allocation, right? So based on what type of investor you are, like an aggressive investor would spend 90% or 100% stocks, right? That's all I'm putting in, all or nothing, baby, right? And then there's some like moderate investors, which are like me. So I, in my brokerage account, I'm basically only putting 40% in stocks. And then I have a, like what we call a buffer, which is like um, 60% bonds. So the bonds basically uh, soften the blow of stocks if anything drops up or down. Um, and then the stocks obviously will grow my money over time. So like uh, research says that basically in a, a long expanded period of time, your stocks can actually grow up an average of like 8% accounting for inflation. So you have to figure out taxes. So whenever that happens, I'll like let you all know and keep you updated. Um, but yeah, that's my strategy for all that. This is a very American perspective because for example, you don't like, you know how we all pay uh, some money to get for retirement and it's kind of like whatever we put in this pot mm -hmm. will get back right for what i know of american retirement well in france is very different like pretty much as far as i know everybody kind of gets the same oh, amount wow. so what we are paying right now like Jocelyn and i and all my friends that live here what we pay right now is pretty much given to the people that are retired right now and then when we retire then that people that are, you know, children right now that are going to probably be of working age are going to pay for yeah. us and kind of thing, you know? So it's, it doesn't matter if you work for, like, you know, it's not it's not like how you put all of your, your savings in a pot for retirement and then whatever you save. Like, in this particular, I'm talking about, like, you know, Social Security retirement, It's gonna be big giving back. No, it's just like for everyone that's the same. Great. It's so, so it's a communal thing, which is like I think that's awesome. Yeah, it helps a lot. Like honestly, I think that's crazy because I grew up in the United States, but now I've been living in France for three years. My mind has changed a lot. Like for example, like I used to I max out my 401k and that's how I was able to save up enough money to like move to France with 20k in two years, you know? Even though I was traveling a lot, I was partying, I was doing everything. Because most of my friends, especially right now that we're like, you know, facing 30 and we're getting older and we're getting more money, it's kind of like because of our jobs, you know, we're going into the next level in the corporate world. It's kind of like, what are we going to do with the surplus, right? And like a lot of my friends in the United States are like you, you know, like very planified, like, okay, this is what I'm going to do, which is great. I love that. 
But at the same time, it's like, I wish that the U.S. was more like France in a way. So you wouldn't feel so pressured to do all of this at such a young age, you know? Like here, I have a lot of friends that are like, well, I'm 30 and I like my job, but I think I'm going to switch jobs and I'm going to go back to school. And they can do that because, you know, education is free. They have universal health care. <laughs> it's like they have things and we yeah. don't have anything. So it's it just sucks. But, I mean, you have to do what you have. You, you cannot work with the tools that you have. I will tell you, I'm happy that my parents were, you know, very straightforward. And they were like, you know, Rosa, like my dad is an accountant and my mom is an obstetrician, right? So they were kind of like, look, as much as I, you, like, you know, in the United States, people are like, you can do whatever you want. But my parents were like, well, you can do whatever you want if it's just five things because everything else is not going to get you money. That's the thing. Like, I feel like sometimes like the lack of money pigeonholes you. It's also really interesting because like, I think it depends on the family, right? I feel like some Asian families are very hesitant to talk about money or they might be very open to it. But like for me, my parents never really talked about it because I guess they think that it wasn't necessary for me. Or I also like saw them with really bad like spending and budgeting strategies, which just like I knew from experience, like I want to make sure I didn't follow their footsteps. So like I know like I am the beginning of the generation where like I'm going to immediately, you know, at age four, tell my kids like, okay, this is a 401k. This is like the X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, they'll be the next generation who will like make more money than I do and like be hopefully in like up, upper middle class or, you know, even better. It just really depends on the family and like what stage they're at and like their existing habits. Like I, I know my parents at one point, like basically paid off credit cards with another credit card, which is a no-no um, and things like that, uh, which doesn't mean that we're not happy with the way we're living right now. Like we're renting, but like our family is just like very cohesive and happy, which is like all that matters. I think money is really important especially for me my future and I just want to like live at a certain lifestyle and so that's why like it's a priority for me at this time and age now we can like move on with the and talk about tips like for example for me I'm more about like stop spending all this money like I said on Amazon then I went on to Etsy and I started spending a lot of money on Etsy so now so now I have like this budget that I can only spend this much money on this you know and that has helped me kind of curve my because honestly with all this pandemic like sometimes i was just like i really need something to come in the mail right now and make me happy <laughs> you're using or are you just like looking at your credit card and how much you spend a month so i have three mm-hmm. accounts okay so one for my savings which is one car then one for like kind of like this uh propina that i give to myself this little like you know okay you can spend all the money that is in this car you know and then i have another one that is to like my month of like my rent and stuff like that so that's kind of like how i budget myself so if i run out of money in my car where i can spend things then i cannot spend anything as simple as I kind of like because if not, then I'm gonna I'm gonna do something stupid. So I kind of have to force myself, you know, like a child. Having like a goal also helps. So I feel like the most that I ever saved was when I had that goal to plan. So I think that having this new goal of van life is helping me kind of like gun go all go all in on the saving aspect as well. What about you, Emily? What are your tips? 
Google <laughs> is your best friend. So like anyone wants to start getting into investing or doing their research, Google, a lot of Google or YouTubers are actually really helpful. So again, I'll link some YouTubers that I follow um, and like some threads that I follow too. Um, I think like it's also important like at this time and age, I guess it depends on your mindset, right? If you're more free flowing, you do you. But like reach out to your family and friends and like ask them for advice. You know, I know money is like a very sensitive topic for other people, uh, but it doesn't hurt to like start a conversation, like start high level, right? Like, oh, what's your money management strategy? Like I actually recently brought this up to like a lot of my friend groups and it was there like, oh, this is so interesting. Like I've never talked about it with anyone before. And I'm like, yeah, why not? Like we don't have to talk about specifics, but I'm just curious to know, like, what do you have? Like what accounts do you have? What do you invest in? Things like that. And then I would say, like, in terms of investing, um, do your research, uh, like, 100% do your research, because, like, obviously, this money will impact you in the long term, right? Um, it's emotional sometimes, like, I've heard, I mean, I'm starting my journey right now, but, like, I, I, I've seen people that, like, drop 20% of their uh, money, and then they, they take all that money out because they're worried that all that money is going to go down. Uh, what I've learned from research is that you just have to stick with it you know, just stick it out, keep investing as you are. And like, eventually you'll get your gains back. Um, I've also stayed away from robo advisors, which I know some of my friends use too, like Robinhood, which like does investing for you. Um, but you know, to be honest, it's like, uh, it's like preference. And then in terms of budgeting, um, like I, I, I think Rosa, your, what your strategy was like the 50, 30, 20 strategy, I think that you were referencing like 50% needs, 30% at once, 20% savings. Um, I stick mostly to the strategy and I just like double track, like I'm pretty much sticking to those numbers. Um, but I also want to acknowledge that like, while that's popular, it's also not feasible for folks that like live in high value areas, like New York city, like probably like 80% will end up going to your needs, uh, especially if you're like working below a certain income level. Um, and then last but not least, like savings buckets. I have, uh, so Rosa mentioned she has three accounts, right? So I actually have, four or five. So let me list, list them out. So I have my like Bank of America um, card and that's my like temporary, like I opened it when I was in college. So it's as my savings and my checking. Right. Um, and then that actually is where my uh, paycheck goes to. And then I have my discover uh, high yield savings account. So that's really the, <laughs> the quite the large amount of money I have in my savings that's just sitting there and growing at like a 0.5% rate, which I will move to my brokerage. And then I have, um, uh, I actually will open an Ally account. And so I'm actually moving my money from Discover to Ally because Ally has like these things called savings buckets. And so you could actually allocate like, okay, I'm putting 5,000 towards my home bucket, maybe like 200 every month to my travel bucket. So it's actually, it breaks down your savings into like your savings categories. Um, and then I have like principal, which is my retirement account. And then Fidelity is where I have my Roth what, uh IRA and also uh, my taxable brokerage account. So that's where, like, as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm putting that 20K in there. And then, like, for next year, I'm probably putting another 30K uh, from my, like, uh, savings account into that. And so the idea for that one is that um, I, have, I have a dedicated deposit I'm going to put in every month for my savings uh, for this down payment. So hopefully in like six years, I can amass around like 120K, 130K um, for that amount. And so that's, that's like my plan. You know, it's just crazy how like, 
I feel like stock market is kind of like uh, for someone like me is kind of dangerous because I do I love the win and lose and you know like before like I kind of stop being so into it like but I had stuck well I still have stocks from my old job back in the United States and then I, I have cryptocurrency and some other things and I would like look at my stock every day you know And that's bad. Like, I really don't recommend it. I think it's also because, like, it's kind of like I was spending so much time on my phone. So it's kind of like another thing to check. And that's the problem about, like, you know, having all these things of dopamine. Like, every single time you check your Insta or or your Facebook or whatever you use. Like, you know. Yeah, that's that's why they say investing is emotional. You, I Like, I, my strategy or Delian just mentioned, like, index funds, put it in there, leave it, done. Like, that's it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, maybe, like, as I learn more about stocks and stuff, I might start investing in, like, one or two individual stocks. But that will still be, like, a very small portion of my portfolio. So, everyone, that's basically money management in a nutshell. Um, as I mentioned before, I hope some of these stories resonate with you. I hope you're able to get some cool budgeting tips that you can use. And yeah, if anyone would like to drop down any comments on how they manage their money or want to talk about it, feel free to drop a comment in our Instagram or uh, via email to our Gmail account. If you have any insider trips, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I take that back from what Rosa said. I'll talk to you soon. All right. See ya. Bye.